Miles Michaelis is making progress during the shutdown, and do a couple of closers need to look over their shoulder once play resumes? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, April 6th. I'm Al Melkier, and I am joined by Derek Van Riper. So, DVR, we got one pretty quick news update here, and then we can get to uh, some fun player profiles and some other stuff. Uh, our news update regards Miles Michaelis, who had uh, been dealing with a flexor tendon strain. He got a PRP injection, and he is now to the point where he is throwing from 120 feet. And next up for him is a bullpen session. So... Uh, there's different ways to interpret this. And we're actually going to get to that a little later in the show with our featured read, but I am a little bit surprised that Michael is both on fantasy pros ADP and on NFBC ADP was within the top 300 for this draft season, uh, even with this, uh, elbow issue. So does that strike you as odd or do you think he is being, or has been properly drafted? It seems a little high to me. I, I think as we've talked about on this show, flexor tendon strains and, and PRP injections to treat them don't always prevent further damage to the arm. And it's a way of hopefully avoiding surgery. And with Michaelis, this is a guy who probably could split the difference between 2018 and 2019 with the ratios. And that'd be sort of like a best case scenario. If, at least if he did better than that, I'd be stunned. Uh, we saw him struggle to keep the ball in the park. Like a lot of pitchers did last year. The K rate was actually a little bit better than in 2018, but still isn't very high. 144 strikeouts, just 184 innings a year ago. I'm cautiously optimistic. This is a lot like the situation we talked about on Friday's show uh, with Griffin Canning. The extra time, you know, for a guy like Michaelis to rest it certainly doesn't hurt, but I feel like his value to the Cardinals is going to be greater than his value to fantasy owners this season. And to this point, I don't think I've drafted him on any of my teams. Uh, I have not either. I do have him on a very deep keeper league team, uh, a team that's actually named after him, you know, cause there's a lot of ways you can play with the name miles, but um, you know, yeah. Drafting this year, I actually did draft Dakota Hudson a couple of times and again, deeper leagues, but I think he's the better value when you're talking about a couple of Cardinal starters who more or less pitched to contact. I mean, Hudson more so than Michaelis. But I think I'd rather have the guy, first of all, who's going later, and secondly, who's now proven himself to be really good at getting a lot of ground balls and potentially uh, limit hits on balls in play. Yeah, I mean, I think between the two, Hudson makes more sense to me, mostly because he's not dealing with the injury that Michaelis that is making progress from. I think it's also, though, the age difference. Dakota Hudson's 25. I think when you're 25, you're more likely to come up with a little extra velocity or a new pitch that actually unlocks something. And that's where I think my optimism rests. They are pretty similar in terms of their profiles and, and what they're likely to bring to the table. Uh, low K rates with good ratios, probably not great ratios. I'm really curious to see what 2020 looks like for Dakota Hudson in particular, because you just don't usually see a 335 ERA with a 141 whip next to it. <laughs> No, there's definitely a mismatch there. Some regression is definitely coming, but I think maybe not quite as much as his ADP would suggest, but I do view them 
both as more deep league type options. And again, Michaelis's ADP sort of betrays that. So um, I think we're a little bit lower than the than the crowd on uh, on Michaelis to be sure. Uh, now we're going to shift towards talking about some relievers, and we're going to get to a couple of uh, player profiles. But I'm going to go in a little bit of a different order than we've been going in recent shows because we've been doing the out-of-the-park giveaways. We've been saving that for later in the show. But there's a connection, DVR, <laughs> between uh, the most recent trivia question and key giveaway and the players we're going to talk about later. So uh, there's there's a method to the madness here. So first of all, I mentioned, uh, I believe on the Friday show or sometime last week, that we had two people who had gotten all of the trivia questions correct, but hadn't won a drawing. Uh, Colin and Jimmy Johnston. Uh, Colin just goes by Colin on Twitter. And uh, I wanted to give them a chance. And actually, it was one of them that actually suggested, hey, why don't you give us a chance to, to win a drawing? I thought that was fair. So I we had one key left. So I did. I try, intentionally made it hard. I had a, uh, a trivia question. I gave it to both of them. I DM'd it to both of them, gave them a day to answer, and they both got it correct. So I went back to Out of the Park, explained the situation, and they not only gave me an extra key so I could reward both of them, but a few on top of that. So we can keep this going. I thought that was awesome. Thank you, Out of the Park. Uh, The question was, who are the only two relievers to have at least 150 strikeouts and a K-BB rate over 17%? Uh, over the span of 2015 to 2019, so the last five years combined, who what relievers have 150 strikeouts and a K minus BB of at least 17 percent, but no saves. So there are two pitchers. They are Michael Feliz and Nick Goody. And I basically altered the question a little bit and added the at least uh, 150 Ks and, and sort of lowered that threshold because Michael Feliz blew away the field in terms of strikeouts for pitchers who didn't have a save over the last five years. He has 300 even. Nobody else even had 200. So my question to you, DVR, uh, and again, congratulations to Colin and to Jimmy Johnston. You both get a key uh, for Out of the Park Baseball 21. But does this say anything to us about Michael Feliz maybe being due for saves in the next year or two, given that he's been so proficient at getting strikeouts and having more strikeouts than walk? walks compared to any other reliever who doesn't yet have a save over the last five years? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, the 2019 season was finally a step in the right direction for Feliz, a 399 ERA, a 126 whip, best ratios we've seen from him against big league hitters since I think 2016, which was his second year uh, up in the big leagues with Houston. I think there's still probably a little bit of internal hey what do we do in this bullpen if we trade Keone Kella which we'll talk about in just a minute and with Feliz maybe because he was part of a big trade albeit one that the previous front office regime made that might be enough to bump him up the list it could be enough to at least break a tie if they can't really decide between relievers they might say hey you know what the organization invested a lot in him let's just see if we can get something back by getting him in the closer role and having him pitch really well in those high leverage spots. Now, if he pitched well as a seventh or eighth inning guy, that would still make him appealing to contending teams as well. I think the thing that stands out with Feliz, there's actually quite a bit of red ink on the StatCast page in terms of the fastball velocity, K percentage, uh, you know, the XBA, X slug. Like it's, it's a good profile overall. And I think a lot of the other profiles in the Pittsburgh bullpen leave something to be desired. So definitely a good 
deep league sleeper. I mean, maybe an NL only reserve pick for now and a draft and hold guy that you get in one of the last few rounds, but uh, probably not a guy that you're drafting in mixed leagues, just a guy you're keeping in mind if things start to fall apart in Pittsburgh in the ninth inning or if at some point maybe Keone Kella gets traded. All right, well, let's put that focus back on Kella. Uh, and obviously, he would need to uh, relinquish the closer's role he was during spring training, not surprisingly at all, named as the Pirates closer for 2020. He did miss uh, nearly half of 2019 with a shoulder issue, so maybe that's something to tuck away. And possibly relate to that, his strikeout rate was down a few ticks. His uh, average fastball velocity was down close to a mile an hour from year to year, which is not really a big deal. But again, something maybe just to keep in mind. So do you view Kella as a candidate to be replaced during the season. And of course, that's you know always with an asterisk if there's a season, however long the season is. Is there a concern there? Maybe even aside from any possible trade issues. I think the concern is that he has had some off-field problems, I think both with the Pirates and previously with the Rangers. I think the thing in Texas was a, a dust-up with Jonathan Lucroy during spring training, right? It was something really odd. Just Lucroy didn't like the way he was going about his business during a workout or something. But when you look at the overall numbers that Kella has put up over five different seasons now in the big leagues, he's pitched to a 3.23 ERA, a 111 whip, and he has 263 strikeouts in 214 and two-thirds innings. And as far as your lower-tier closers go, that stands out quite a bit. So I think the bigger question with Kella, I mean, maybe the off-field stuff kind of is part of this that we have to consider too. But the bigger question is really, what do the Pirates do if they can trade him? Is he an easy guy to flip just for whatever they can get for the future? And then when does that happen in a shortened season? What is the trade deadline going to look like? Are the clearly rebuilding teams going to sell earlier than usual because the teams that are trying to run away with their respective divisions are trying to open up bigger leads sooner? I just think this is going to be a really odd season for so many reasons. And the trade deadline is one of those things that we know absolutely nothing about in terms of when it's actually going to be, uh, but also how teams that are contending and not contending are going to try and go about upgrading their rosters for the short term and the long term. Now, DVR, I forget, do you have upcoming drafts and you know, drafts that were put on hold? Yeah, I've got a few that have been put on hold, and then I'm I'm starting up a fantasy baseball triathlon, which will have a AL only, NL only, and mixed league auction, and that's going to start up probably about a week or so from now. We'll do one auction a week for most of April. So I've got probably with those three. I think I had two other ones that were paused, and I was planning on signing up for something for the NFBC, and things got put on hold before I could do it. So I think I've got about six more drafts to go. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, then, you know, this is definitely a relevant question for you, which is that when we look at situations like Kella's, are you just treating it as a normal situation, understanding that the range of possibilities of how deadline deals are, uh, you know, how those unfold uh, could go any number of ways? Um, How are you planning on treating that for those upcoming drafts? I'm looking at him as a half closer. I think whatever this season looks like, assuming there is one, the trade deadline is probably going to be before the final 30 games or so. It's about as late as it can be, right? So if we're talking about an 81-game season, 
you probably have about a 40 to 50 game window where Keone Kell is closing for the Pirates. They're not supposed to be a good team, so maybe you ding a little bit there. That's kind of where that half closer comes from. So I've got him 24th among relievers in my rankings right now. Giovanni Gallegos is in that same range, mostly because we just don't know if the Cardinals are locking in on him as their guy. It's a little bit behind Jose Leclerc and Brandon Workman, in part because I think those teams are better. So I think skills-wise, I mean, we're talking about a guy that probably is more talented than than Shane Green, but could follow a very similar path through the 2020 season to the one that Green followed in 2019 when the Tigers flipped him to Atlanta. That Gallegos uh, situation is one that we should probably unfold on a future episode because this now creates the, the possibility of Jordan Hicks maybe getting a larger share of saves this year if the, the Cardinals are inclined to push him back more aggressively into that role. But we'll, we'll save that for another time because uh, we are going to talk about Taylor Rogers here. There's, there's no reason to think that there's going to be a closer controversy in Minnesota. So the argument I want to make with Rogers is that I think he's been a little bit underappreciated. Now, if we go back to the beginning of August, right around when he, August, 2018, when he began a lengthy scoreless inning streak from the beginning of August, 2018 through the end of 2019, he had a 191 ERA, a .85 whip. He held hitters to a collective slash line of 196, 244, 300 with a 32.5% strikeout rate and a 3.9% walk rate. So that's just incredible. He wasn't quite as good last season as he was during that scoreless streak in 2018, but he might, may have been cheated a little bit because his XBA was actually a bit lower, 18 points lower than his actual batting average. And I really haven't found any reason to to doubt the XBA. He is ninth in ADP among relievers on Fantasy Pros ADP, but he is sixth in NFBC ADP. That strikes me as, as more realistic. And I think there's maybe even an argument to put him into the top five. Uh, how do you see this? I think he's... I think he's definitely got the skills to be top five. I've got him seventh among closers. So I guess I'm a little closer to where the NFBC market is drafting him. I think Taylor Rogers is outstanding. I mean, this is a guy that had only a 4% walk rate last year, a career best 32.4 K percentage. And on top of that, he was throwing even harder than he was last year during spring training. So there might be a velocity bump. We'll see what happens when things pick back up again. Of course, I love the fact that he's on a good team. I do think there's the lingering concern with Rodgers that exists to an extent with Josh Hader as well, where you look and say, are the Twins the kind of team that will use their best reliever when they need him the most? With Hader, I think we have a little more proof of concept with that when Corey Knable was healthy. I think with Rodgers, that's a little bit more of a leap to this point, but I do like the way the Twins handle pitching in general. It's just part of the reason why I like that team so much at this point from a pure value standpoint. Uh, but I think Taylor Rogers is one of the safest closers on the board. Uh, if you wanted to take him as a top five closer, I mean, I'm, I'm not pushing back real hard on that. I think I've got him kind of tiered with Roberto Ozuna, Ken Giles, and Kenley Jansen. And I think with Kenley Jansen having such a down year last year relative to his lofty expectations, I would totally understand if somebody wanted Rogers ahead of him. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's actually should be pretty clear at this point, but uh yeah, I think top six for sure. Maybe you make an argument for top five. But um, 
to, I want to shift over here to the uh, the featured read because it really ties sort of everything that we've been talking about all together here. And it is another Eno Saris piece. I do promise you we're going to switch things up a bit. We've gone to the Eno Saris well a lot lately, but you know, it's because Eno does great work and he's got another great piece here. What to do about pitching in a shortened baseball season, uh, of course, on The Athletic. And without giving it all away, you need to actually read the piece. But he makes an argument about the relative value in a shortened season for relievers versus starters. And uh, DVR, do you think there's an argument here maybe to to bump up the value of relievers in your rankings for uh, this shortened season? It's something that Eno and I talked about on Rates and Barrels, and I am, I'm still not 100% sure if I'm bumping up all relievers or just the top end relievers. If I do make a change, it is going to be on guys like Taylor Rogers. It's going to be the top seven, top eight closers, the guys that I really trust from a skills and role standpoint. Um, but even that, we're talking about a relatively small bump. It's almost more that they would rise because some of the starters who are full season accumulators in the second tier might fall slightly. It might just be kind of shifting those two groups a little bit. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. So, uh, it's an issue I'm sure we will come back to, but uh, in order to keep this you know, close to the 15-minute concept, we're going to wrap up this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, keep in mind that we are running a three-month free trial, and you can also get 40% off of a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseballin15. Everything that we do is a part of your subscription. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review, we thank you in advance and greatly appreciate it if you do take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will return here on Tuesday. Tuesday.